Hello, and welcome to yet another installment of Lay Films' coverage of Twin Peaks Season 1. My name is Kevin, one of the co-hosts, and Pat, would you like to introduce yourself? I'm the other co-host, Patrick. I've been on all seven and now eight episodes of our Twin Peaks series. It's been a long time coming. Um, for any of you who, is, who have been with us since the beginning, thanks for sticking with us along for this uh, crazy descent into this small uh, northwestern town. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, we wanted to do something very special for this episode since it is the season finale for this uh, particular um, uh, run that we're doing. So we brought back our first guest uh, from the first episode. You know him, you love him, you can't get enough of him. Benz, would you like to say hello? Bonjour. <laughs> it's uh, great to have you back on. Thanks for coming on. And um, this has been a long time. Oh yeah, in the in the making. We got to get like. I would like to introduce you all to uh, one of our very very great friends, Jezer. Uh, who he, I, I've known you since uh, college. <laughs> I guess just to keep it short, um, but. Uh, you are very much like an avid moviegoer. You're a director yourself. Um, it's I can't even tell you. It's like been 58 episodes, and we have yet to have you on one. But I'm so glad that you're on this episode. Uh, do you want to like introduce yourself? Sure. Yeah. Right. Thanks for having me on board. Uh, I'm Jezer, and I've been a fan of the podcast for a while. Number one fan. So I'm here. My you know they requested or I requested to be part of this to meet my idols and my, you know, these people that I love. So here I am. Woo. Wait, you say you're a fan. Top 20 episodes right now. Uh, top 20 episodes. Okay. Uh, uh, August in the Water. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to remember the other stuff. <laughs> uh, you know, that one, that one, and the other one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, yeah. Je no, it's, yeah, Jezzer is definitely, Jezzer and Kaylee. Or like, I'm honestly still. When you said it's his first appearance, I was like, wait, what? No, that's not right. No, I know, right? We've had Jezra on before, right? No like, way. <laughs> no, we haven't. It's a sin. Crazy. <laughs> you should be more mad at us, Jezra. No, it's all good. I will. I didn't want to cramp anyone's style. I feel like you guys oh, had a good thing going. No. And I'm like, a cucumber is, over there. This is tight. Like, I'll I'll listen to this in my in my car on the way to work. <laughs> well, we're really glad to have you on. And of course, like Ben's, like you were with us from the first episode. It'll be really cool to uh, discuss uh, how you felt going into like the first episode once again with this final one. Um, it's been a while since I've seen this particular episode. It's entitled uh, The Last Evening. It's uh, episode eight. Af yeah, it's a weird numbering system. Um, uh, 
yeah, like what were uh, some of your initial impressions, like just from this episode as like a whole, as, as like anything you want to talk about? All right, I'm going to say it. Didn't really seem like a lot happened. I, um, yeah. I felt like my first viewing of this episode, you know, it's been a few years. Um, I imagine that so many other things happened during it. But I was mistaking a lot of season two episodes exactly. for this finale. Yeah, you said we, uh, in this eight episode journey, now at the finale, we've had a lot of, uh, like, we're in we're in the world of Twin Peaks, but it still feels like, no, we're, it feels like we're in the first half of the first season in my memory. Because uh, there's so much more to go, there's so much more on the horizon. And it's kind of shocking that it was only this many episodes for the first season. Um, looking back, like... Did you guys have that experience where when you were catching up to this, where we're at now, you're like, wait, this, like, we're on episode eight and this hasn't happened yet? There hasn't been this yet? I would say that was my experience. Like, watching, I, I haven't watched Twin Peaks in a while, not for years. Uh, so, going back to this season finale, I was very much like, oh, this seems like really set back in time. And as Kevin was saying, it really kind of did seem a little uneventful for a finale. Uh, for some reason, I was like, I think I had this confused with a different episode. I was expecting to see like Bob or some shit mm -hmm. show up and scare the shit out of someone. Um, but that must be some other event. But but this was a cool episode. It was cool to uh, see some old faces, see the gang again. So, yeah. yeah, totally. Um, I just want to echo the same things. Um, for me, though, um, it is kind of a blur season one and season two. Um, I don't really see things like especially something like this which is um kind of meant to be taking taken as like maybe one piece it's like it almost felt like uh they were about to enter like the the, the mouth of like the of the lion so to speak like about to go like deeper in but they were like just standing on the precipice like ready to to go into like the the underworld of things mm -hmm. yeah um I I also want to uh, go back to um, just asking about uh, first experiences with this series as well as uh, up to this point in time. Like, has anything changed for you? Um, you know, going, you know, now that this is the season one finale, um, what has remained the same and like what is like sort of changed after watching it again? Like for you, like for me, I, I. I feel like one of the things that's remained the same is this sense of nostalgia of being able to re revisit this town of uh, with so many like warm moments kind of hidden amid like the leaves of like decay, basically. But one thing that's different for me is not really enjoying this season as much as, for instance, season two. Like I know that season two gets a lot of hate. Mm -hmm. especially towards like the end like the middle and ending um but after season seeing this finale it's made me sort of like put even like adjust the shades of the rose tinted glasses just a little bit i completely agree because uh i think on this rewatching of everything uh it feels like it's it's there it's present but the spiritual aspect that the show goes into is kind of it's not paying off we're not we're got we're not getting the highs and the lows of the for me, my most enjoyable part of this is like the uh, the good everyman or the good man 
versus this uh, abstract spiritual realm or this abstract position in the universe or however it is the world is in Twin Peaks. And if there's like not a conflict of that, but there's like an exploration in season two. And here in season one, we get some peaks of it. Like again, the, uh, the emphasis on dreams, using the dream to solve the murder. I just love that mysticism introduced to like the FBI procedural. But the first season, first season kind of pulls back from it. It's kind it's of very a, true crime. Yeah, it's a little very more straightforward. Grounded. Yeah, I'm like, oh, on rewatching it now, like Kevin said with the adjusted rose glasses, I'm like, oh yeah, this is more straightforward than I remember. That's because I'm thinking of season two stuff coming in. Like mm-hmm. a certain character's hair goes white, and that's just like in season two, and that's just like a great detail of like an old literature, an old narrative device of like you know someone's seen something or done something so horrible or seen the truth that their hair is like altered forever and a part of their physical appearance reflects that and you don't get that as much in this season so yeah i was hoping i was for some reason expecting to see like coop go into the dream after getting shot but i'm like oh it just it ends just right there um and i was like whoa i i guess it's just been a while since i really watched it um, but you know, it, I, there was a lot of cool moments in here for me. Like Andy stole the show for me. Mm. Fucking that whole scene where he's just standing there after like, uh, shooting Jacques. Like he was so cool, man. Oh, yeah. oh. perfect setup and payoff. Yeah. I feel like Andy really gets his, uh, dues in this episode. Uh, like it, 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 it feels like a long time coming. Um, one thing that like kept sticking with me is is a lot of the storyline with One-Eyed Jacks. Like, I have this very clear memory of the certain event that happens that I won't go into yet, um, but not seeing it in this episode really, like, deflated me in a sense, but that's, like, my own fault. Um, Jazzer, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, what was um, your first experience, like, you know, being introduced to, like, Twin Peaks and, like, watching it? Like, what what time did you did you did you come across it? And- yeah, no, that's funny. I I think it was you and you and Richie uh, introduced me to Twin Peaks. I think you all peer pressured me into. Oh watching yeah, we did. It. Yeah, we <laughs> sat you down and made you watch. First, I was like, "What the fuck is this show about?" <laughs> it took me a while to really get into it, and I think that's very true for anybody new to Twin Peaks. Uh, that it is kind of like confusing or slow at first, and. You know, there's threads on Reddit asking like, well, what what are the filler episodes? What can I skip? And all the hardcore fans being like, you can't skip any episode. Um, so I think the first season, you know, there's parts of it I like and I remember really well. And other parts from like, oh, I don't really I'm not down for this. Um, but, and, you know, season two is also really great, too, for some of its parts. Uh, but overall, I could see why it's such a iconic 90s piece of memorabilia. Uh, it's a cool show, and it's a cool show to not think too hard over. Um, one other question that I have for both you and Ben's is: uh, Do you find this show having like any sort of like influences on your own creative endeavors? Because I, I know that uh, both of you are directors in your own right and uh, filmmakers, of course. Um, yeah, has has this show or like any of like Lynch's work like influenced you in some way, or is it something that you sort of like uh, view as like a separate thing and you can appreciate it for like what it is, or anything in between? Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I think all of it goes into um, 
uh, like everything that I watch, even things that necessarily that I don't like, um, kind of gets like stored in the the memory bank of of uh, like what guides me and things like that. But uh, my first experience with uh, Twin Peaks, like I kind of took it as like um, like a like very straight like soap soap opera that was like a little bit quirky, um, and I think like revisiting it. Um, I think that they, they, I think it was like very uh, brilliant at the way that they kept the uh, soap opera um, format throughout, but then they use it to explore like this, the inner self and like the the outer presented, the outer presented self, um, and it, it even it's like in the name like Twin Peaks. There's like two, um, and I think I like I like I take those ideas. Definitely, but I mean that's in so many other. That's like in like you know so many other um, uh, other people's works, and it's 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 kind of hard to tell nowadays because like um, Lynch has given uh, so much that people take, um, and uh, it, it, like a lot of it's good, and then some of it is not good, you know. But um, but yeah, so it's like I'm sure like even if you're not trying to, I think it kind of like it. His work stays with you in, in, in some form or, or another. I would say I don't, or I haven't yet to really y- use the Lynch influence in my works yet, or if at all. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of stuff in Twin Peaks that I think does permeate in other media that I do enjoy um, I think there's like some weird relationship going on with Twin Peaks and Silent Hill and Jacob's Ladder. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some of the the weirdness factor of how these characters interact in this small little town and the mysteries of this small little town um, kind of shuffle back and forth in those other pieces of media. Uh, so I, I definitely can get behind some of this. And also the music. Like I think that's one of the things that I especially enjoy about Twin Peaks is uh, the, the soundtrack. It's just really different, and it's just super memorable. Um, the quirkiness of it all, it's its great, and I love it. But, yeah, no, I mean, to answer the question, I don't think I really, like, have been influenced enough to try to implement some of the things I've seen off of Twin Peaks. Um, but maybe one day, I don't know. Who knows? Mm-hmm. What about you, Pat? Do you have any thoughts? Oh, I'm a big rip-off artist. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I just love uh, what shows like this. One of the big takeaways, like this and Anno's work, is always the. Uh, I attach myself more to the. Uh, the the bigger questions or whatever it is. It's the thing of like, uh, why make Twin Peaks? What it's about, and then, you know, it's uh, it's more than a procedural. It's more than uh, your direct, especially in the '90s or late '80s, '90s. It's a lot more than what was on TV back then by a mile. So much so, I think it influenced a lot of the uh, early prestige TV of the 90s. And yeah, just that, that uh, not introspection, but I think of Twin Peaks as like a good example of uh, when you have an idea or a script or a story, you go beyond the uh, plot points and the initial like arc of the story. And it's more about like the direct, like, is this... You know, what is this not is what is this about, but it's more like what is this uh reflective of in me? What is this reflective of my perception of the world? And like here's the arc and the conflict, but this conflict's about you know, is it about 
people's relationships to each other? Is it about the myst- the mysticism of the whole universe and the world? And what if it wasn't the way it is? What if we'll never know? Maybe there's a parallel world of doppelgangers right under us, imperceivable, and just... I feel like this show elevates your more typical TV medium to stuff like that, where it's like, okay, this is something a film would explore more. And now we get a nice TV series about it, and then it goes places, especially later on, like season three of the shows. Uh, probably the best modern television I've seen. And yeah, it's just very impactful for me where I, I think about that stuff a lot is what I feel like. I, I will say, I think one of the better, or one of the things that hooked me super personally was just the mystery of Laura Palmer. Like, who killed her, what happened, you know, like the the grounded parts of that stuff. And, and, and really, as I explore the show more, I realize that the thing that's keeping me around isn't necessarily the mysticism, but how these relationships formed around Laura and her death kind of trickles down and transpires to the rest of like uh, the, the the town and how these people live their lives after um, her death or her murder and stuff. And, you know, Kevin and I watched the prequel movie not that long ago. And so watching this episode again, I'm trying to like connect the dots in my head and and just be like, oh, hey, that's like that's so cool. Like James feels this way because, like, yeah, I saw the way she treated him in the movie, and and that's that kind of stuff. Like that stuff is is really cool to me personally. Um, and and you know when it gets to the mysticism stuff, as like you're talking about, like that stuff is so thought provoking and sometimes even confusing. Sometimes I watch the show and I'm like, what what did what did what did the man just watch? Yeah, but you also know? the mysticism is those bonds. Those non-tangible That's things true. that Laura has to everyone. And just exploring that in TV is, like, such refreshing. Better than... I, I love X-Files, but better than, like, uh, like when you watch a Gundam series. And it's just... It gets kind of monster of the week for yeah. a period. And it's like, oh, here's a new Gundam. They fight. Good guys win or lose, depending on the narrative. And then we're back next week to, sh- to sh- sell another toy. It feels like this is always saying something or going somewhere. There, there's... There's like right. setup and payoffs and constantly. And that stuff really elevates the show, in my opinion. Like the the weirdness stuff from I think mostly coming from Lynch's side of the writing. I have no idea. I think that stuff truly elevates Twin Peaks to be something uh, different. Yeah, I I completely agree with that as well. I feel like um, Mark Frost has a way of of I've said it before, like during like this run, but um, Mark Frost has a way of like sort of reeling Lynch back a little bit. Uh, to where it focuses more on the sort of like familiarity that we're like more accustomed to seeing in everyday series as well as like tele or any form of media really um and i think that the the frankness like the honesty in the in these portrayals is 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 sort of what brings us back like what you were saying jezer with um seeing the ripple effect of laura's death and it's kind of like a, it has a nice spin on you know the dead girl trope, where um, it's it's very prevalent in so much media where it, you have this heroine figure who is almost like a, a Joan of Arc in a way, or is like sacrificed or you know taken far too young, and then the entire narrative is just built upon that. But this show does it differently in showing and actually breathing life into this figure who is no longer with us in the present sense. However, with the prequel film, like with Fire Walk With Me, we get a lot more 
moments with Laura to, you know, see this other side of her where it we we see this very haunted figure who despite her best efforts to break out of the hell that she was living in, she just couldn't do it. Um, however, there is release. There is some sort of catharsis in in line with that. And I think that even in some of the quieter moments in this television series, those are some of the most magnifying ones. Like, it, it allows you to um, sort of forget about the narrative for a while to where you can just sink in to this conversation that's going on between these two uh, figures. Like, it, it reminds me of, like, slow cinema in a way, like transcendental filmmaking, like, where so much passage of time goes by to the point where you just sort of are one with the with the background in a sense and like your your mind kind of like wanders a little bit like this series has a little bit of that but not too much but it, it it's just it's just enough to like sort of um conjure it up so to speak it's interesting that you you um you bring up uh like the aspects of, of slow cinema to uh to twin peaks because uh I had seen a movie um, at this movie club, uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock, and um, there was a, a friend of mine had brought in a, this um, magazine, a film magazine, uh, and it was like, by, it was like published by like David Lynch fans and stuff, but it was like, I think it's, yeah, it's like a, it was pretty old, and um, I think it also was like, um, uh, I was like, a, a Japanese fan club of like David Lynch or something it was like super niche, but they were talking about how um, there are there are parallels to like the um, to to Picnic at Hanging Rock and uh, and uh, this film, which there's a 15 year uh, difference between when when uh, when um, Picnic at Hanging Rock first came out and um, and uh, Twin Peaks, but I mean they both have like this kind of like like mystical elements about them um and a lot of like of the unexplained is just kind of like just you you sit with it which is great like same with this film um you're kind of grounded in like the 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 conventions of tv which is good um but then also they 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 kind of let you normalize to like things that are kind of happening around and um it's 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 a, there's almost like a kind of like a hypnosis happening when you're like you're seeing kind of like normal things like um okay Laura having uh this kind of uh strange relationship with her uh, psychologist psychiatrist psychologist I never know which one is which that's like I feel like Jacoby, I feel like Jacoby is both like yeah. <laughs> I was like dude that's a good point though yeah, it's a small town yeah. Yeah, can, he, can, can he prescribe anything <laughs> well I'm sure he could yeah. I think psychiatrist but it's like it, it, the, the, going back to it I've um, allowed myself to uh, delve into like the thematic elements of, of Twin Peaks and the idea of like the inner self and like the, the relationship with Laura Palmer and, and the, the psychiatrist, and he had a view of her inner self that other people did not have, 
other people saw her like one way and uh he was able to to know her in her her inner self you know her her um her twin uh uh spiritual like twinning um and uh i think that's uh it's interesting uh that like fans of david lynch can see this like um in other movies too with um with like the society that uh picnic at hanging rock takes place in like the um like the the inner lives of like these young girls and and like Victorian society and things, but it's always if you um, if you see his other films too, there's there's always like this this uh, inner self in in his other films that are present too. Um, and I'm forgetting the name. I just saw it was the last David film uh, David Lynch film that I saw it was um, a Lost Highway, I think, mm-hmm. where they had like that 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 um, like uh, like these bourgeois characters, but they have like these like like these like very scary inner like um lives you know that are like very secret that you don't you don't see which i love when that's like put to film oh yeah i don't know i think i just rambled on there no no no, that's what that's what this is for it's for rambling so don't yeah (laughs) i like i really like the point schrader has the lonely man lynch has the internal representation like wild at heart the whole film is about him being wild at heart (laughs) I need to see Lost Highway still. That, oh. that Inland Empire, I'm oh, yeah, um, done. I saw Lost Highway in Chico. So a friend of mine, uh, Chris Rogers, and uh, his brother Devin, they were playing it. They um, there's a s- small little community theater in Chico called The Pageant, and they have like a distribution deal with Janus Films. Oh, damn! And so they get like all these like all these Janus films and stuff, but um. They brought over uh, Lost Highway, and it was, like, the coolest thing ever. It was, like, a small... It's, like, 60 seats, and you can't purchase tickets online. You, you can only buy them I, I love in that. person yeah. 30 minutes before the show. Yeah. You're, you're there, you get your ticket, you get yeah. your seat. And her rewards, who's there? Dang it. Yeah. So, we just... We took a chance. We're, like, we're gonna drive... I don't know how many miles to Chico. It's kind of far, actually. But, um... Okay, never mind. I was gonna ask something dumb. Oh no, no, ask no, it. Oh, what's yeah. the farthest you've? Um, sorry to interject, but like, what's the farthest you've driven to a movie? You know, I'm I'm gonna side skirt the question just a little bit. Like the farthest distance I've ever traveled has been uh, when we saw um, Memoria. Je- oh. Jezzer and I recently went to Denver. Colorado to visit Kaylee, who, like, for any diehard fans of the podcast, Kaylee was in one episode where we made ramen at my place from scratch. Um, it was uh, the episode, the half of it, if yes. you want to go back. Uh, gotta have Kaylee back on soon. But, um, Jezzer, you and I went to Denver. That's right, yeah. And then I had been telling you so much about this movie, Memoria. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with the with this movie, it's a film by um, Apichapong... We're aesthetical, and he's a Thai filmmaker, and um, he 
the rights to this movie, it starts Tilda Swinton as well. Uh, the rights to this movie in the U.S. It's a, it's going it's on a roadshow basis where it plays at a theater for like X amount of days and then it's gone. It's not coming to streaming here. It's not coming to Blu-ray or any physical media in the U.S. as for right now. Um, in Europe, Mubi has acquired it, so they can stream it there. It'll probably get a physical release. And all the everywhere else but the U.S. because neon. I don't know why, but <laughs> anyways, um, I I had just seen the movie at the Tower Theater like one of the last days that it was um, gonna be in Sacramento, and then we went to Denver, and then just happened upon the film center there. What's it called? The um, uh, Denver it, Film Center. The, the Sci something Sci film. I don't know something like that. Right? Yeah, yeah. But we just like saw it. Like it was, it was like, oh hey, it's playing here, and then we just decided to watch it on the whim. Mm-hmm. That was cool. That was a cool time, mm-hmm. and we spilled popcorn everywhere yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, it was super. Like, we were like one of like, or uh, there was like. Th- three other people in there or four people <laughs> yeah and we sat right behind like an older couple and then like popcorn just like spilled everywhere literally right before the movie started and they just like both got up and split in the middle he's done kids like, yeah, and just <laughs> went up forward but um, it was really cool because they gave us a uh, 35 millimeter strips from the movie like with just stills on it um, i just refound that i thought i lost it oh, really? and i just found a reason my backpack again i was like oh shit like i still have this <laughs> Oh, what a treat. Yeah. But um, that was like just on a whim. That's like, I can't, that's the chances of that happening are insane. But um, yeah, that's as far as I've gone to see a movie. Um, otherwise, yeah, I haven't like gone out to like Chico or like San Francisco. I would like to. I wanted to see Come and See in mm-hmm. San Francisco. I want to say like a year or two ago. When it got the four K YouTube, <laughs> oh yeah, it is. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm I'm done with my answer. I'll stop talking. Sorry for uh, distracting from the conversation. Oh no, not at all. <laughs> yeah, mine's mine's a parallel, anyways. Uh, I think the furthest I've gone is uh, with Jamie to Davis to watch Memoria. No. And who, who, who showed up but Jezzer? <laughs> was there was my second viewing. <laughs> yeah, this was my second viewing as well, and uh, yeah, just. A real testament to the film. I wanted to see it. At least, I still want to see it again. And yeah, that's probably so. Not that far. Just Davis. What, is, Twenty is Davis miles. Davis closer than like Roseville, Folsom. For me, it's farther because okay. I'm, I'm North Island's kind of oh, close to Roseville, yeah. anyways. It's about the same, probably. Yeah. I think the farthest. Well, I've never like intentionally traveled with the intent of watching a film, but I think the farthest I've gone and then just ended up watching a movie. I was in London. Uh, and I just decided to watch The Batman. Mm-hmm. And, and I had COVID at the time. And I was just like, whatever, I'm just going to go watch The Batman. <laughs> I, I didn't know I had COVID, but I was just sick. And um, yeah, I was like, well, what the fuck else am I going to do with this shitty energy I got? So I decided to watch Batman. <laughs> what about you, Benz? Um, uh, I think probably Los Angeles. I always go, I always try to see like the newest Paul Thomas Anderson film. Because usually he does, like, a, a talk or, like, he has... Oh, sorry, I hit Oh, this. no, that was mine. Oh. Yeah. Like, usually he has, like, uh, for the premieres, he has, like, actors and stuff. Or well, usually he does, like, a little Q&A or something. Um, so probably those. Like, I've, I've been to every one of his premieres and um, Inherent Vice. I miss the, uh, the uh, Master, though. Even mm. though they had a... Um, they were screening it in 70mm in four theaters in the U.S. And one of them was San Francisco. But I missed it at the time. Damn. 
Oh, you know what's interesting is when they were first uh, re... um, When they were doing the season three of Twin Peaks, there was, like, all these rumors about... um, Of, like, casting. Mm -hmm. And people were like, oh, are they casting for Twin Peaks? There was, like, a lot of rumors for it. So people were, like, driving down from everywhere. So that's pretty... um, That's pretty interesting, you know? Uh, As, like, film fans, sometimes, like... Especially these days, it's, like, hard to, like, watch movies nowadays... They're in, like, su- such few theaters. A lot of theaters are, like, taking risks. They, they feel like it's taking a risk to play certain movies. Okay. So we actually have to increasingly drive to places. But, I mean, think about the people who make these movies, you know? They have to drive all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So There's actually... Sorry, another weird aside. So, like, the um, in Los Angeles, there's, like, this zone. It's called the TMZ. It's called the 30-mile zone. So, like... Um, it the center of it is like on Sunset and Goyer. It's like this cross street where like a lot of the studios used to be. Now they're all spread out. But like, so like if you were li- if you were working within the TMZ, like you get, um, uh, you just get like paid to like work on the film. But like if you are outside, if you live up, if you have to travel outside of the D- the TMZ, then you um, they have to like put you up in a hotel mm-hmm. and like do all this stuff. And so a lot of places they used to like shoot within like that 30 mile zone. <laughs> no, like I kind of like figured that, you know, because we were supposed to record this episode like a while back, but like things just like happen and whatever. And it's been a while since I've watched this episode, but I, I was thinking about rewatching it. But it's like I remember like Pat and I were talking about it earlier where it's like I, we remember the main beats of it. Mm-hmm. Um and I feel like we've done a pretty good job of, like, recapping a lot of the stuff in a, a lot of the previous episodes. So for this one, it's, um, you know, it's just all certain plot points coming to a, almost to a head. Like, we see the the mill burning in this mm-hmm. episode with uh, Shelly being, of course, tied to one of the banisters. That's, like, been a seed that has been growing steadily over the season of Leo's uh, enragement, you know, you have this like classic Americana um, bad boy who all of a sudden, you know, is no longer the sort of um, sort of the model that you want to associate yourself with. You know, I, I could see like his kind of his Leo's character can be somewhat alluring in certain scenes, like where he has like sort of this like mystery, like hard edge to him, but it's quickly lost when he becomes like incredibly abusive and everything and this is just sort of like the the uh crux of of that taking place in this episode and then of course to parallel that we have uh cliff um that's his name right cliff no uh, hank hank sorry yeah. i always <laughs> he looks like a cliff to me <laughs> hank uh norma's husband yeah. of course being yet another Sort of, like, parallel to Leo. I like the... Leo's, like, kind of grunge. He's, like, the grunge punk. And then here comes this late 70s, 80s Hank character. Like, oh, you lit the mill on fire? You tied your wife you're abusing in there as punishment? Like, okay, good luck getting away with this one. Shoots him in his house. Now you're taking the rap for everything. It's a good little generational conflict. I think, you know, the Kurt Cobain resistance to the hyper-consumer 80s and all that other... Mm-hmm. Not directly through line, but like it's a fun yeah. little read of like, oh, he's like, look, just look at the physical differences between them. Hank's very he looks old like American. A, who's that actor 
the roadhouse actor. Oh, Swayze? Yeah. yeah. Swayze. He does have a Swayze energy. Again, yeah. yeah. It's like a more older masculine. Leo has long hair, different outfit choices, kind of, you know, new generation. But then, yeah, just sold down the river, shot in the like chest. He's like the first of that. Like, I feel like Leo, I've seen him in so many 90s cartoons as like the bully guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, was this the first? Was this the origin of all that? <laughs> he's more depth. He does give very stereotypical like bully vibes when you yeah. mention it. Leo's always hilarious whenever he's on screen. I love how much he's hamming it up. Oh yeah. He's like, like yelling at Shelly like, you broke my heart. <laughs> you stupid bitch or some, yeah. some shit like that. Early incel rage. Yeah, did you yeah. Do, yeah. Did you do my laundry? He's like, yeah, I did. No, not this one. I hid away. Yeah. You made me do this, Shelly. Yeah. It takes out the gun. I'm keeping you on your toes. Oh, God. <laughs> Dude, even this scene, which nobody can know what I'm pointing at right oh, now. Oh, the Nadine. Oh, Nadine committing, what is she, committing suicide? Yeah, like, drinking a bunch of pills. pills. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like, these little soap opera bits crack me up so much. Like, I fucking love it. Like, it, but the Nadine one hits so hard. She's yeah, a Nadine rabbit. story uh, earns the little it's mouse. True. A little field mouse. Yeah, no one pays attention to. She's, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I forget about some of that stuff. It's cheesy, but that, like the Nadine stuff still hits, and then it just gets cheesier, and then it's just pure fun when she's using her Hulk strength. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like you know, you give really, you really give the actors like time to shine with. Just little, these little bits of comedy gold. Even oh, there's an NRA poster. Sorry. An NRA poster. <laughs> oh shit, is it really? National <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> Um Even Lucy being like, like when she's upset that Andy didn't react well to the pregnancy news, she's like, fresh coffee. Like really, like I'm like, this show is tight. Like I go fuck. Yeah, it doesn't really take itself too seriously, which I feel really benefits it in terms of longevity um because i I could see the show being criticized if it had taken itself a bit more seriously Mm. like where it was much more like deadpan or not deadpan but just much more cold in approach and very direct well you Um, know what it's funny you say that because i i get the feeling that or well i don't know it, it they do take themselves seriously i feel like but it's not like they'll say some goofy shit but they'll all say with a straight face, and they'll all react mm-hmm. with a straight face. They'll play it straight. Yep. And it's... I don't know how it works, but it's just hilarious to me. That's Lynch right there. I feel like... Because uh, if you go back to, like, Blue Velvet, for instance, like, there's that specific conversation between Jeffrey and... Um, uh, I forget uh, her her name. Um, the neighborhood girl. Mm. Um, they're, like, both in the car, and he's, like, talking about that dream that he has with the Robin yeah. and everything. And he, like, and it's just, like, one of the most cheesy conversations you can, like, ever imagine. But it, it goes on so long to the point where it becomes its own truth in a way. It's kind of like comedy in a way. Mm-hmm. Like, it, where it just keeps hitting at that same point until it, like, becomes fresh again. Um, I feel like that is not only dedication to... The sentiment that you're trying to convey to a mass audience but it is it's just honest it's so honest and like you were saying like straight faced and it's it's really refreshing in a sense yeah. it's, it's kind of like turning a cliche into something new in yeah. a way I don't know yeah, that's a good point yeah before the I think yeah before we before we even started recording we talked about like some more current media and just how it beats you over the head with just I like I want to say nihilism that's so over not overdone but like just oh yeah it's just like oh like everything's bad you're sad and that's just you live and you die and all this other stuff 
and you know the goofy moments of Twin Peaks allows you to have David Bowie come in and say <laughs> we live inside a dream and then like it's half like oh this is kind of like it's Bowie it's kind of over the top like this is great but then later on it comes full circle when you're going in dreams or you're going beyond the realm of the real right and it's like okay now that scene earlier has more significance the goof the small goofier things have more significance now people are writing articles about the fish in the percolator and like what that means <laughs> in the realm of was it Gnosticism or whatever stuff? <laughs> yeah, where modern shows now are just like, oh, everything's shit and I want to die, but I got to live because you only live once. And like, no, it's you see one episode of that show is I've seen the whole season. I don't need to watch any of this. But you watch Twin Peaks and Nadine's being weepy about being the little field mouse no one pays attention to. And I'm just there. I'm, I'm My heart is yearning like hers is. I'm just, I'm in the room with her. I'm feeling like I'm Nadine. And then she tries to kill herself, and like shit. And then, you know, everything happens, and yeah, it just pulls you in. I think the the lighthearted, goofy moments mm-hmm. is a great way to pull you in, and then it can get serious still, but then also goofy. The serious stuff in this is kind of goofy, especially later on, the backward speaking, the, all that other stuff. That's true. It, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, uh, but I love how they take it so seriously, though. You know, because it is um, serious. But yeah, like they take the like they present it as. Um, uh, like it's valid, which is like a lot of, I feel like a lot of, um, uh, m- like a lot of folk movies, they do, they kind of do that. Like it's valid to like, um, have things revealed to you in dreams and like, but you know, and I feel like we have been kind of like removed from that. And it's like, what's the source though? What's the source? Like, what's the source? But the source can't, the source cannot be, um, Oh, it was revealed to me in a dream. But, like, here, David, like, Lynch, he, like, embraces it. Same with, actually, the director we were just talking about, uh, Memoria. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Can you do it one more time? <laughs> I, I always struggle with it. Um, Apichatapong, we're aesthetical. Yes, he always is, like, he's, like, in, the, I think he's, like, the same, um, like, a, like, a spiritual kind of filmmaking as, like, David Lynch. Like, he's, like, okay, this is, like... This is just like this is like the reality. Like there's no um, center reality. Like your reality is not like the center reality. Mm -hmm. Like here, I'll introduce you to mine because what? Because this is film. We could do that. You know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So refreshing. So refreshing nowadays. Yeah. I read a tweet not that long ago from Jason DeMarco, uh, creator of Toonami, who mentions how a, a thematic recurrence in Lynch's work is, I think, something along the lines of the dark side or the corruption of Hollywood and how that bleeds over from the perspective of suburbia. And when I read that Twin Peaks sort of started to make a little bit more sense to me, I'm like, really, it's it's because the story's told through the perspective of these other townsfolk and how their relationship transpired after Laura Palmer's death and her, you know, whatever crazy past she has. I'm like, wow, there's really like a lot more purpose and thought behind this. And I, I think that's more... That's also prevalent in Lynch's other works, which I haven't seen too much of, but uh, like that, what is, is it, um, there's that one movie where uh, Mulholland Drive, like, mm-hmm. I, I think that's like a similar thing too, even though I haven't like really seen it, I think that's a very similar thing of this idea of Hollywood and the dangers of that sub- affecting suburbia, and I don't know, would you guys say that that's any truth at all? That's a very profound perspective on it, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I'm just letting it wash over me still. Absolutely. The burning of the mill, mergers and acquisitions, Mm. 
proper movers and shakers, but it's a small town America. It happens everywhere. It's uh, the disease of greed is ever present in the American psyche. And then, yeah, like uh, Mulholland Drive, there's a blonde-haired, blue-eyed sin eater to take on all the sins and to be expelled and murdered by the, you know, I don't know who, who kills her directly. It could be the, the unseen evil or the collective evil of the people of the town. It's all open interpretation. But yeah, like, Laura feels like she takes on the sins, especially in Firewalk With Me, mm-hmm. which has, like, it's just the greatest horror film in my, one of my favorite horror films. And it just goes, especially with the ending and... Yeah, totally. All that great hits. It's just, yeah, I, I completely see that perspective. Of like, yeah, like she, Laura's prom queen. She's valued from these standards of beauty and all this other stuff. Like, she would be the one to go to L.A. and be a star. Yeah. Like, we see them all on Drive. Someone does do that, and then their adventure there. Where it's all critiques of that structure by Lynch, as well as, like, Eraserhead. I think it's Philadelphia-based, I want to say. Yes. Like, it's time there. And just, like, oh, it's like an industrial hellscape that merges machine and humans and it's just like a weird <laughs> unreal real place that this he makes a film about and just I, I think that definitely resonates mm. that also makes sense now as to why there's so much Dougie Jones in season three and like I, I you know to this I, day I'll still google like well does he ever go back to just being himself and I still haven't finished it so I don't know but you know I, I, a, a big thing that I hear is that season three is more so about uh, criticizing nostalgia and, and the nostalgia from audiences and stuff like that. I was exactly say, think of like the X Files reboot or another show coming back from the '90s and mm-hmm. modern. Like, what is it going to do? It's going to be Marvelized. It's going to be. It's a good term, Marvelized. Yeah, yeah it's going to be. It's going to be. You can. You don't need to see it, but you can already imagine the beats it's going to hit because it's going to play it safe and feed on that nostalgia. Where Dougie's, it's a direct challenge to that, and we're. He's probably the best character, or one of the best characters in season three. (laughs) That's for sure. But yeah, it's like a direct challenge and confrontation that I feel. So when you do finish that, I do want to hear your opinions. Mm. And hopefully we'll get to that in so far away, season three. (laughs) We have time. (laughs) (laughs) If we all live long enough. (laughs) No, I I completely agree with um, with the season three, like, criticisms of, like, a being against nostalgia and I also want to say that not only does it encapsulate that and it's I feel like season 3 splits off into so many concurring timelines where you have one that is sort of the dark timeline one that is sort of like a neutral ambivalent timeline and then one that is sort of like the um, positive one like the more light oriented one with uh, Dougie Um, and to me, that's, like, sort of the first time that I've witnessed um, any form of, like, media, like, tackle so many different approaches with, like, such a legacy behind it. You know, you have fans from, like, the, the beginning of, like, the early 90s, you know, waiting 25 years to see the ending to the show. Like, and, of course, like, could you imagine being in, like, the early 2000s on, like, weird like forums like where you where it's like invite only and like you like post about like theories like oh you know I heard so and so is coming back the dark web of yeah exactly (laughs) and then like all of a sudden you see Laura Palmer's diaries published and then like all of a sudden like the the final dossier like we haven't even gone into like the texts that have been you know published uh, in between season two and three Um, 
So there's so much lore that's like just lingering out. It's almost like an urban legend um, in the sense. And to me, Twin Peaks is like the myth that's like lacking in modern day society. It's because I like one thing that I keep coming across in um, a lot of uh, texts and like art, just articles that I'm like reading is uh, the the fact that like we're sort of like heading or we're we're in sort of like the crux of like the decline of an empire okay. where it's much more um you know uh logic based and much more analytical in its approach to where we become more focused on the minutia as well as like the the minuscule pieces that make up the collective without being able to, to see the forest from the trees basically i hope i'm getting that saying right um Whereas, like, we're, we're sort of, like, lacking in, in sort of, like, the more um, intuitive side of society, of being able to feel this link to this overall picture, and in order to make sense of it all. So, by the fact of us, like, honing in on these very, you know, troubling things, uh, whether it's, like, fake, fake news, like, you know, like... Uh, w misinformation, all these things that, that can like warp a reality beyond repair in some instances. Um, it's important to have some sort of myth that grounds you that that isn't necessarily um, hell-bent on providing a clear truth. Uh, saying like, hey, you need to be like this person. Uh, they are completely good, like, they have all these good qualities, nothing wrong with them. It's like, no, like, the importance of myths is to sh like, it, there's so much irony involved with them, and, and with this sense of irony, we can see the good aspects that these people, like, may have within them, along with sort of the negative traits, and whether they're, like, cautionary tales, whether they're, um, tales of empowerment, tales of repression. It's it's all meant to like stoke the embers that has that's sort of like a part of our ancestral identity as a society or even like a civilization. And unfortunately with history and you know empires have a timeline and they they come and go and right now we are unfortunately at the crest of the wave about to crash like if we aren't already crashing. And with seeing season three of Twin Peaks, it provides some sort of light at the end of the tunnel of being able to say, no, there is a way to hold on to this this good timeline. You know, like, you can work towards this. Like, I, I really wish I could speak more to, like, what Cooper does, <laughs> or if he is in season three at all. I don't want to, like, give away anything. Um, I wish I could really finish this thought, but... I want to, like, touch on one last thing that you mentioned, Pat, in that before the, this recording, we were talking about a lot of, a lot of uh, modern-day media sort of leaning into this nihilistic aspect of, uh, you know, embracing the fact that there is no meaning to anything. Um, but the purpose of, like, nihilism is supposed to be, like, a trajectory course. It's, like, supposed to, like, you're supposed to slingshot from yeah, that you're point. supposed to overcome man. Yeah. You're not supposed to just wallow and be in a man. Yeah, exactly. And and I feel like, unfortunately, a lot of these, uh... Me I don't want to, like, name names with, like, certain shows. 
Fuck it, I will name it. <laughs> I will name it. Name uh, the horse. <laughs> Bojack Horseman, Rick and Morty. Uh, like, what? You must not be intelligent enough. Oh my god. <laughs> really. See, that's the left brain oh, ideology. Yeah. It's like it's so hell bent on like. Anyways, yeah. um, it's like embracing like this sort of like edginess of uh, being like, oh no, I'm above meaning. I don't need that in order to live. Like, but it's like, okay, well. Time and time again, when there is no faith in society, that's when empires tend to crumble. And like, I, even though I myself am not a religious person, there is a benefit to religion because it, it carries on the legacy of myths in, in history. And I don't know, I, I just have, I'm very like worried when it comes to, you know, the, the power of like the influencers you know, with this power falling into the wrong hands of being like, oh no, there is no meaning to anything. And then it just instills this like seed into a whole like generation who like doesn't know any better. But like that might just be me robbing that so-called generation of like thinking for themselves, which like ends up becoming like such a cyclical thought pattern of like, where do we go to escape this sort of thing or yeah. overcome it? I think you're right to be concerned because like, uh, you're hitting. I think Lynch and the reason there was a resurgence in the show's popularity. I think like Twin Peaks didn't blow up in the early teens, well, yeah, or late two thousands. I like enough to get the series brought back after yep. so long. I think it's because it hit. We hit that threshold of uh, at a certain point, everything just became about manufacturing cons- consent. Like Chomsky would say, like I'm looking forward to the film about how intersectionality is going to defeat the Chinese in that Korean War dogfighting movie that's coming out soon. I'm sure it's going to touch on all the proper themes. As well as just like, yeah, now it feels like anything above a certain level of production and money has something about not telling a universal truth or perspective, artistic expression, or even... I'm not even sure how it's to say, like, whatever small redeeming... It just feels like it's not literally selling you something, but it's, like, insidiously uh, creating symbols and icons and all this, like, mind poison that we're already over... so oversaturated with. I just think, like, oh, it's, what's a recent film? I, Twin Peaks Season 3 is a recent piece of media where it feels modern... Feels that's that's definitely the most modern thing I've seen since. Like there's cell bodies, phones. but no I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, yeah, bodies, yeah, bodies, <laughs> bodies, bodies. bodies. <laughs> so I don't even know what that is. <laughs> but like, like, what's a Hollywood movie? Now they're all like Top Gun, like the, the latest Top Gun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then even that's that's harkening back to the last Top Gun it's right. a sequel. So we have Maverick. Is he going to be on his phone, going on the internet for six hours a day? <laughs> Do, just like do wasting people, his existence yeah, people, like you can't make movies about like the literal current times unless like you have to do something that sets it in a previous era or has to be has to be a certain way removed from the con- contemporary existence it's such a weird thing to think but David Lynch does it in season 3 there's phones there's a dark there's a New York apartment with I don't know what the hell's going on, but you know what? Jeffrey Epstein had an apartment in New York. I don't know what the hell's going on there. Either. <laughs> so I guess it's more real than I think, but it hits tones of like, okay, like, I don't know what this is. I don't fucking know. That could be happening. There's people with phones. There's issues here. And there's all these current reflections of our society. And then I think of modern media and unless the phone's like a plot device where there's a ghost in it killing people, it's not featured. It's someone's, someone's deep someone's dehumanization through 
the cyber age is just brushed over and we have films about exploring the old past or not even addressing that in the room. Yeah, and it's interesting how um, younger people are like really clinging on to the very last days of like the 90s are back in. Mullets are back in. Yes. Baggy clothes are back in. Wired headphones, you know, like it's just like clinging on to the very last before um, like this great like this great equalizer that is like the internet kind of like kind of like made you know you like kind of kind of made media kind of like excess like a uh, media um oh I have to choose my words carefully oh yeah I know I feel like it's like it's such a wide C but at the same time at the same time there's like these powerful algorithms that kind of direct us into like yeah it used to be wider yeah it's like the guiding hand of fate in a way yeah yeah but but more manufactured yeah (laughs) no that is that's a that's a really interesting thought too because um you know like I sort of touching on what you were saying Ben's as well as what you were talking about Pat where um you know we're sort of like it reminds me of like the sentiment of like escapism where um when faced with trying times, one of the most common reactions to that is to like disassociate in a way, uh, to to basically like survive, place place oneself in like a survival mode until the storm goes away. And I, to me, in some of like those moments of like isolation, you know, where it's like the scrolling on the phone, um, like the complete like isolation, it it makes me just. It makes me think back to that sort of imagery of like waiting out like a storm in a way. And it's very difficult because there's nothing to like look forward to in in terms of like the grand scheme of things. Um, because to me, like my like when I think when I get into like this spiraling thought pattern, I think about like, oh, you know, we're on the brink of like ecological collapse. Uh, this is like the end of times, basically. Um, this is uh, the era where, where sort of everything that's been done up to this point in time is now meeting at a head, and there's no return from that. Um, the, my first instinct is to not think about it. It's to distract myself. It's to you know get carry along until I'm no longer thinking about that till I get distracted again by you know my day-to-day things in like this capitalistic society of like working at a job to pay for this imaginary plot of land that I happen to sleep at (laughs) and like get food and everything just to survive but I feel like the power of media if it can be taken back into the hands of like people who are interested in the progression of humankind to sort of avert these these looming disasters uh with you know with some form of promise in the future i feel like if we're able to do that then we can progress as like a civilization um and for instance like going back to like twin peaks right now like as long as the warmth is there as long as there is a light then there is hope like it reminds me of um this anime that uh Pat showed me Monster, 
Um, I believe it was a manga first. Is that correct, mm-hmm, Pat? Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it was an anime in the early 2000s. Yeah, four, six. I think one of those two. But um, Tenma, he's a doctor in in this show, and um, he's sort of being, you know, put on the spot for a apparently like murdering somebody if i'm if i'm remembering that correctly or no he's uh he no he helped save a murderer or is that wait, yeah Pat, he, you, you can explain it better than me uh, a prolific doctor in uh post no current cold war europe saves a young boy who's shot in the head as a result of some kind of political contrived issue he saves the boy but then 10 years later a series of serial killings begin to occur that are connected to that same boy, and then he has to, you know, navigate his obligation to save lives as a doctor, as well as the consequences of saving certain lives and the results of that decision, and he has to negotiate with himself. Uh, was it right to save that kid's life, or should he have let the kid die? Because now the kid is going on to kill others. And then he takes it upon himself to try to catch the kid, and it connects to the ghosts of the post World War II Soviet espionage, Iron Curtain stuff, as well as like the d- the desire for great leaders and all this other stuff about that, the conflict of the post Cold or Cold War era, in a unique way. And then I don't want to spoil it, but there's a certain rock the character has to hold on to. That uh, yeah, I think that's what you're touching on, Kevin. Yes, um... there's a certain not motive. There's a certain truth he holds to himself, I want to say. Yes, um, for instance, I, I feel like with the power of storytelling, if you can convey figures that are much more tangible than we you know, initially think about, um, with Tenma, for instance, he has like this particular line that he delivers to this child that, who is a part of... Um, of a very problematic schooling system that mm. we're raising, was it child soldiers? Or? Uh, yeah, just Cold War spies yeah, and yeah, soldiers. Yeah, spies, basically. And it's like one of the escaped children. He's delivering this line saying, where as long as you could find the people, like, you know, carrying the light, those are the ones to, like, stick to. And it reminds me of a Cooper in Twin Peaks, because in this dark town where sort of, like, people, you know, they know each other, but it's, it's this murder of, like, this beloved you know, uh, town member that sort of brings them all together. It has like this looming, like cloud over like this town for like the entirety of the series. However, Cooper as like an outsider is like, sort of like, like, have you all like ever been in like a storm, but then you see like this brief, like stream or like shaft of like golden ray of light, like shooting through it. Like that's what Cooper is inside of the show. And it's very, captivating to witness like this this untainted light you know um unfazed by the storm that's like lingering beneath you know the atmosphere um and Tenma is sort of like that in Monster as well as like Jean-Luc Picard in uh The Next Generation like you have like this sort of like archetype that is sort of like shouldering the weight of this um of like these trying times and I feel like that's why this sort of show, like Twin Peaks Endures, is, I mean, especially like just to me, like it's something that I go back to in order to sort of like reinvigorate my own core set of values to hold on to. Like it's almost like like a text in that way. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like this type of storytelling is very important. And 
I know that as a creative myself, like if I can muster up the energy to create more things, I want to do things like this because I feel like it's like my obligation to, if I'm capable of creating something, I want to share it, even if it's with one person who happens to view it. Like, I want to give them a reason to continue living because I have been in that position searching for, like, some sort of meaning. And I'm eternally grateful to people who have gone out on a limb, such as in this case, to put their heart on, on the line, you know, for others to, like, judge, basically. And I admire that wholeheartedly. And I would love to be a part of that tradition. <laughs> Very deep. <clears throat> very deep. Oh, I know. It was like, oh, wow. So it's a very, um, uh, cause a lot of, a lot of TV, if I, if I remember correctly, I, in Alaska, like just TV, I used to watch a lot of TV when I was younger, but like now I don't watch like any TV. But, um, like a lot of like the older films, they had like this, like, like all film, all film is like propaganda. But, like, whether we're, like, we realize it or we don't, because, like, if we don't realize it, then we just agree with the morals. Um, but a lot of, uh, a lot of, like, TV also it is, um, like, perpetuating, like, ide like moralistic ideas. Um, and it's interesting because they, a lot of TV does have, like, ha have has um like what you described but like in like almost like a less effective way um because like at some point it, it feels like it's like that but like also like in like a very commercial sense but like, like here it's like very spiritual it's like oh, is it is. kind of like a virtue signaling in a way um maybe like now like I definitely I think like now I feel like people talk about that but like I feel like Back then, it was like maybe like the eighties, like I don't know, like Sesame Street or like, uh, like you know, like I, those yeah, older, I see what you mean. like yeah. I don't know, um, like family shows. They're mm -hmm. like very like that in, in the obvious ways. Um, but like, this one, it's like very like it's like it's like it has like those elements, but it's like also very like like a, like a, a very spiritual film, like uh, uh, like Twin Peaks. Uh, I said film. I accidentally, oh, this, this I accidentally said film, a film, honestly. which is interesting. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. No, it's not Married with Children, which yeah, goes on yeah, for yeah. eight seasons. And like, what is it? It's, it's made to fill time and sell commercials. Yeah. Or this is, it's its own story completely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I see, for some reason, like, speaking of, like, the nostalgia, like, there's, like, so much that's, like, like, in Twin Peaks that you... Like, oh, I, I feel like I know this from somewhere. Whereas, like, when you watch, I don't know, something, like, I don't know, like, Different Strokes or something, it's like, it's like I see this kind of, but, like, also it's like, I feel like it's, like, not organic mm. at the same time. There's, like, not that, like, there's, like, oh, there's almost a put-on quality. Yeah. But that's just me, though, interpreting it. I don't know. Maybe it's, you know, I don't know. I get that with the fashion in Twin Peaks. Yeah. Right? The 90s resurgence that's back. I see fits in Twin Peaks. I'm like, I want. I wish I could dress like that. But if you watch like <laughs> like Fran like Dresser Neo, with the blood on his, that's a look. Yeah, with like the little blood. <laughs> yeah. yeah, as he's like <laughs> like hanging Shelly up in the 
Hey, brown jacket, denim shirt, white undershirt. Yeah. He's going to kill it at any bar he goes to nowadays. You know, I, I really want to take this moment just to commend... Uh, I, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right. Uh, Mad Machen Amick? The actress who plays uh, Shelly. Mm-hmm. Um, she really came into her own in the last few episodes of this season. Um, I feel like Shelly could have easily just been lumped into, you know, oh, just this person who works at the diner who also is Leo's girlfriend. She's she's basically the object of abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I feel like she actually has some sort of, like, agency in the final episodes of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking on Shelly, I just... I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but the uh, opening monologue that Kyle, Kyle McLaughlin gives at SNL, uh, he, you know, he has this whole joke where an audience asks him questions and he's like, oh, can we find out finally who killed Laura Palmer the, this year? And he's like, oh, yeah, it's Shelly the Waitress. The episode's already been, like, recorded. And I'm just telling you now. Don't tell anybody else. And then, like, the skit goes on to where, like, David Lynch calls him. And he, David Lynch is, like, just yelling, like, berating him, <laughs> abusing him on the phone. And he's like, oh, no, I'm so sorry. Uh, okay. And then he goes back to the audience and he's like, uh, I just want you all to know that was a joke. And it's not Shelly the Waitress or whatever. And I'm like, I just watched it, like, the other day because I was watching Kyle McLaughlin's, like, interviews. For some reason, I guess because the internet knew I was going to do this episode, and so the... The algorithms... Yeah, (laughs) exactly, right? Um, But I thought that was funny. And then I think a comment I read on the YouTube section of that video, same video, was like, uh, every actor or something was given a fake script of the ending. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. I'm curious as to how true that is. I wonder if it's because they... If any of them have a problem with giving away the ending for real at the time, which is interesting. Pre-internet, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, it's like such a weird time to be alive because it's like you were able to have like this sort of um, delayed gratification when it came when it comes to like ex- accessing things that you know you wanted to pursue, but it had to take a little bit of time. For instance, like the first thing that comes to mind is like coming home from school oh, yeah. and wanting to like hang out with some friends, mm-hmm. and then I like go and knock on their door, and then they aren't there yet. So then I'm just like waiting outside, Uh-oh. and then like some days they show up, sometimes they don't, and then I have to like know when to call it quits and go back home. Whereas like now you could just like text them. Like if you showed up at anybody's door, like I'd imagine that like. No, it's a, it's a faux pas nowadays. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, that could just be—I don't know. I feel like I'm getting so old. Oh my god! <laughs> but Man. at the same time, is that such a bad thing? I don't think so. I don't know. Aging, yes. Yeah, aging. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to getting older. Putting my brain in a jar. How old yeah. are you? Uh, I just turned 28 this year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm 34. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Pat, you look like you're in your late 20s. I look like I'm 19 still. Right? <laughs> yeah, you do look very young. Man. I have a baby face. I do have a baby face. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I think back to a friend showing up with other friends at my door. Like, yeah, the panic that would set in me if that happened nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> I, I openly welcome that sort of thing. I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm sure, like, I've there been would... reprogrammed. Oh, no. 
I, I feel like if, if you've experienced it once, you could easily go revert back, you know. Um, but I don't know. I feel like uh, with Twin Peaks, it tackles, like, this sense of, like, nostalgia of, like, sort of... Um, it's in this in-between stage of, like, uh, Americana and, like, hyper-consumerism. Um, where, you know, you have, like, the, the Ghostwood real estate plan being set from, like, the very, like, first episode. Where... You know, they're planning on, like, just completely remodeling this entire section of land to create, like, luxurious, like, buildings and everything in this new community next yeah. to Twin Peaks. Um, and then you also have, like, the ties to, um, like, a lot of uh, community members who are in line with not only, like, this project, but with sort of, like, the seedy underbelly of uh, one Eye Jacks. Um it's it's sort of like toes the line between being able to just pop into a diner and like you're like a regular there but then all of a sudden like the the wait the head waiter or the owner of the restaurant's like a uh, husband who's like a felon is like coming back home and and is like also a hitman for hire yeah. and you know by by the town's like head uh you know business owner you know ben horn like he not only does he have his own general store there he has his own like hotel the great northern and then also like he's like one of the partners of 1a jacks it's like this very interesting like phenomenon that uh explores this gray area in between like these two very unique forms of uh americana in a way because you know now that we're in 2022 i want to say that like the the 80s like the late 80s and 90s is like being lumped into sort of like the end like the dying days of americana mm -hmm. um and now like this entire thing is like lumped in with like the death of the american dream like right now with american society as a whole like we aren't like other nations who have like hundreds of years of like history to like back up like this sort of like um uh, tapestry of uh, civilization we only have like a few hundred years um, but it's very interesting to see like how fragmented we have become in like trying to find some sort of footing with this identity which is why you have like such like uh, groups like wanting to revert back to the sense of um, of Americana yeah, exactly to, to make America great again <laughs> for instance um it's such, like, an easy message to capitalize on because nostalgia is the... It's like the newfound opium of the masses, in a way. No longer is it religion. Religion is just sort of, like... It's it's sort of like another substance of opium. It's like the heroin of the masses. Religion almost <laughs> is like, uh... You're, because... It, I saw this video, and it was, like, a guy talking about being a religious person... You're tested by your faith every day, living in a, uh, in our present society. So it's like you're almost, um, it's like not really the norm in, anymore. In like, kind of like uh, the society that we live in, like a, the general society, a very secular society. So like, if you're like religious, it's almost like you have to be like very aware of everything, almost. Mm -hmm. Where in the past, it was like kind of like everything was like very normalized the other way, like uh, in the '80s. Like hard right evangelical, mm. so it's like sorry. I, oh no no no! Go on go on no go on um, yeah. No so like uh yeah so like um, people uh separated from their uh spirituality. It's like um uh that's like the 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 uh 
that's like kind of like the the general pace that everyone is in right now. But like, um, I'm sorry, I just totally no, no, lost no. my thought. Oh no, <laughs> no, it's, it's totally cool. Um, like it, it rem- like what you're talking about reminds me of like um this whole phenomenon of like this this severance between the self and like spirituality in a sense. Like it, like I think that that's the reason why you know the movie like August in the Water like really hit like it really struck a chord with me to like where it quickly became one of my top five favorite movies of all time it's because it's like it's it just completely like shatters like this 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 iced over surface that has just been building layer upon layer upon layer for who knows how long and then immediately like just once once you dive into it, it just breaks right open to where it's like spirituality is just bubbling beneath the surface, wanting to be like let out again to not only connect with like the cosmos, but with ourselves and every single molecule that like consists of us and everything around us to where it's like, it's just a constant seamless flow of, of energy just like flowing. And I feel like that's like what we might be lacking and yet again to come back to twin to twin peaks that's that's one of the main alluring points like what pat was talking about with uh the whole aspect of like these uh existential aspects that um lynch and frost and like all these other everybody who's a part of twin peaks is like trying to get at um in some of the quieter moments where you know it could just be like this very mundane moment but then all of a sudden like uh, you know, Coop in the earlier part of the season asks everybody just like, hey, I'm going to teach you all about uh, Tibet for a little bit. <laughs> um, just to let you know about my Tibetan method of uh, deductive reasoning. And then everybody is completely there for it. Like, like there's no skepticism involved with it. Like, they're, they're taking it at face value because they, they believe in Coop. And that's the thing right now, like, we live in, like, such a skeptical age where, like, we're worried about, like, everybody trying to, like, take advantage of us, which is, like, so detrimental to, like, not only the self, but, like, with their relation to their own community in the form of, like, unity and everything like that, which is why you have all these factions that are building, trying to, like, get to the same thing. It's like an avatar. Like, <laughs> like, if, like anybody who's, like, seen, like, 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 the Legend of Korra, like, mm. like, uh, there's this whole argument based around, you know, you have not only Korra, but, like, these four, like, main villains in each of the seasons trying to get at the same thing. However, they're all out of balance with their approach. And it's like, you have, it's such a fine line of like trying to, uh, you know, pursue like this very intuitive side of yourself along with this very logical and like uh, rational side of yourself. You have to have like this very nuanced approach to, um, to tackling life because it's just so, it's just, it's just so intangible at times. Like, of course, like we, like I'm rubbing my fingers right now. And I, to me, it's a sensation of like touching, like, um, but that's just neurons really like provoking like a, a sense inside of my brain. And it's like, is it good to be the skeptical? No, it's not. Because at some point you just have to live. <laughs> and I feel like that's, that's like sort of like the beauty that underlies Twin Peaks is like everybody's 
like their their suspension of disbelief. Like it's kind of like in theater where you you were everybody is there for this moment in time. They, you know, some people could have like barely even made the show. Like they could have had some family matter that they can't that fell through at the last minute, but they all somehow ended up at the same time in the same place for this one performance where somebody flubbed their lines and they won't ever flub it again for the rest of the like the performances. It's just like this brief bubble in time. But they're there for it. They are there to believe that these people are not themselves. They are these people that they're portraying to the audiences with this narrative that, you know, they could be performing like a Shakespearean tale. They could, like some play that they had just written like a few months ago. But it is all like the, the idea of like promoting perspective and provoking like empathy in the self and like just connecting with others. And that's just such a that's like magic to me in the world like that's why i have like like i i'm i consider myself to be like at, at, at surface value i am a pessimist However, I am definitely an optimist. <laughs> um, uh, I, I like to, even though like I hate interacting with the public in, like face to face because more often than not, it's awful. I deal with like shitty people every day in my job. However, I like to believe in the whole of humankind because it's like the propensity for for beauty that we have inside of us. It's just waiting to be like explored further and like. Uh, once we can get rid of like these greedy individuals who are like sort of like tainting the narrative that is set in place for us then we can like really elevate to like the next level of society and it's like with twin peaks they're like showing that they're like showing the consequences of like consumerism of um of like all of these like uh misaligned archetypes for instance like with with hank once again you have like this 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 almost idealized masculinity but at the same time, he's so out of balance. Like, he, he's incredibly manipulative. He's incredibly, like, underhanded. All this other stuff. But it's like, if he could just tweak it a little bit, he could be the best version of himself. And I feel like that's the myth at work. You know, it's trying to provoke these thoughts in the self. And one last thing that I'll say before I um, uh, end this rant is... Um, with this sort of like discussion based, you know, with the viewer and the uh, experience of, you know, seeing something on the on the screen, almost in the form of like a dream, it's 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 leading the viewer into like a sense of like comfort to where if there are contradictions or puzzle pieces presented to them that don't fit within their worldview, they are more inclined to question them. Um, because it is at a level of comfort. It's not in the level of, it's not in a situation of confrontation. Like you see in like, uh, like newsreels, like where it's like, you know, oh, the Democrat and the Republican battling on this issue of healthcare. It's not like that at all because nobody's going to win each other over with the points, no matter how much statistical evidence, no matter how much pathos or anything. It's because it's just border. It's, it's, it's flawed from the start. Whereas like with this sense of like, of uh, media, and even with this discussion that we're having right now at this very moment, we are all not judging each other for our points. We're we're here to discuss ideas. Um, we're here to hear each other's perspectives, and then it's sort of like in afterwards. That's where the real work begins because it's like when you think back to these things, 
that's when you know that some progress is being made in the way that you perceive the world, in the way that you that you um, go about living day to day. And it reminds me of this uh, quote that Abbas Kirasami said where um, he was saying that the most pivotal films that he has witnessed were the ones that put him to sleep because they stick with him for weeks on end. Like, because that's the level of comfort that it puts you in. I did want to bring up, uh, when you're talking about that, the perfection of the show of everything coming together, Definitely reminded me of Belushi in season three. It's not I'm, not I'm not spoiling it, but there's a great behind the scenes. I think of him being told like, "Oh, your character doesn't understand what's happening," and Belushi like kind of derisively goes, "I don't know what's happening at all." And anytime anything's being filmed, and then Dave Lynch is like, "That's perfect." Yeah, yeah. Bring that energy into the scene. But it's like a perfect, yeah, a little, a little microcosm of this guy who's probably, you know, he's old sitcom actor but he's a great actor great guy I think and yeah just David Lynch brings him on for the third season as a new character and he's in some of my favorite scenes because of another character but yeah, it's just a great little exploration of uh, you know even the derisive mocking of what someone like Lynch is trying to say with this show and all that he can still meet that with like an open hand of like oh yeah you don't you know you don't have to understand it you're supposed to just understand what you take away from it. Mm-hmm. And if you think it's goofy and dumb, well, this show's not for you. Or maybe you'll remember it for being goofy and dumb, just like the Simpsons parodies and all that <laughs> other stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was watching Simpsons not that long ago, and I it was the Who Shot Mr. Burns episode, yes. and they parodied Twin Peaks uh, with the Red Room and stuff. And, I mean, that just goes to show how... I guess big Twin Peaks was. I mean, it you know it just permeated in in different media and stuff like that. I mean, and you know, there's also uh, there's it's, there's more than just that one. There's another Simpsons reference where Homer's just watching yeah, Twin Peaks, and it's like, oh, now you're go- now coming back to Twin Peaks, and it's just like some dude dancing with a horse under the sp- the red light. Yeah, the road. and Homer's laughing. He's like, "Oh, this is the most brilliant show ever!" And then he's like, oh, "Actually, I have no idea what's going on." And uh, I think that's great. I think that's great. I, it's crazy to me that I watched the show like just not that long ago, you know. And I think to myself, well, I don't think I really get the show. And I'm like, well, people probably back then didn't really get it all that much either, honestly. And people are over here like trying to write letters to each other being like what the fuck is this show about and i don't know it's it's definitely interesting seeing this timeline of twin peaks happening and how influential some of this how influential some of our timeline gets bled over into season three and that becomes like a completely different like piece of substance of media in itself that that sort of reminds me of um this uh, the name is is escaping me right now of the director who um, created the this uh, this narrative on Karen Carpenter. Uh, it was basically set in the form of like Barbies uh, because Karen Carpenter was like a huge icon in the '60s and '70s of like being this like not only incredible like percussionist. Um, but also like this incredible like singer, and I, I believe the the movie was called Superstar, um, and I think Sonic Youth might have scored it. But um, it was a 
I think it was banned in, in like certain areas, but it's on YouTube now. But um, anyway, the thing that I'm getting at is that the this movie, every time it gets taken down off of YouTube, somebody like rips it again, and then it, it creates further degradation <laughs> in the original like print of the movie. And it's sort of like, it's not necessarily about the original piece, but it's about sort of like the reaction to it. Like that's the thing that keeps breathing new life into this into this media and yeah that's that's a really good point that you made with that jizz mm-hmm. dude i can't this scene right here that we're watching uh i think it's just hilarious that hank just shows up he fucking <laughs> just just does a drive-by straight up and it's like all right peace out <laughs> is this where Leo becomes in a coma after yes. this? Okay. Yeah. I was like, whoa, shouldn't he be in a coma? That's my favorite gif is when they're like partying with like Leo in a coma. And it's like, happy birthday when you type it in. And, and that scene shows up. I love that. Yeah, and of you course we that. get uh, the, the climax of, um, of Invitation to Love. And mm-hmm. we see Leo's sort of like reaction washing over his face. Wait, what is it? Invitation to Love? Yeah, it's the parallel soap opera. That's been going on since the start of the season. Oh, that's that's not like a real show in in real world. That's like oh no, only yeah. in Twin Peaks. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Leo, sh- the bad guy's punished, and then he's watching on TV the bad guy being punished, um, <laughs> and he's like, oh no. And then we see Catherine show up to save the day, you know, unwillingly in a sense of a Shelley. Yeah, surprise hero. Mm-hmm. Quick Bam. little character uh, redemption. She me of the mom from Even Stevens. <laughs> oh yeah, right. <laughs> Shia Buff smooth. Dude, Shelly's such a babe. And uh, Mitch, the other girl, what's I forget her name. Um, Donna. Yeah, mm-hmm. dude, this show had the babes, man. Or Audrey. Audrey, Audrey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy yeah, hell, Audrey. <laughs> this show. They knew what they were doing with casting. Like they have to be this this uh, pretty. You know, <laughs> my my argument is always. Uh, I really like Fire Walk With Me mm-hmm. because the new actor for Donna... They recasted her, that's right. Yes, it is so upsetting. It's upsetting? <laughs> it yeah. Is, it is like the it's certain, jarring. Yeah, she looks way too young. So when certain scenes are happening, I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm going to throw up. Like, this is hitting too hard. Where, it's like, oh, God. Mm-hmm. And this, yeah, like, they know what they're doing. Like, yeah, the three or four central... Did she turn 25? Was Leo, Leonardo DiCaprio? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> young, Dicap- young DiCaprio on set. So this... <laughs> This scene that we're watching right now with uh, with Laura's father, Leland, he uh, goes to the hospital after, you know, receiving the information that Jacques Renault has been, you know, not only arrested but hospitalized after being shot by Andy. Um, Leland sort of, like, nefariously is, like, wearing these dark leather gloves, this, like, dark overcoat tapes a sleeping jock to yeah. the I think it's kind of open that like oh it's the killer of Laura silencing jock yeah you don't know it's Leland right until like, the until the I think there's a final uh, uh yeah nobody knows nobody knows who the killer is yet at this <laughs> yeah. point but it's sort of like huh this is sort of like strange behavior from Laura's father you know and it like this is one of my favorite shots of the entire series uh in terms of uh Leland's character is seeing this really grotesque 
like hideous, like almost mm-hmm. like grem, like a uh, gremlin-like face. <laughs> uh, see this one right here. Oh, <laughs> <shit. Yeah. laughs> it's off. only it's only for a split second too, where he's like he's like sort of like grimacing. He's like mortified. And he's like, yeah. oh shit! Like I left my stove on at home or something. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes home. Yeah. You yeah. in trouble? I gotta go. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of the other beats, like with um. With, uh, for instance, Coop and uh, Big Ed still being at the uh, One-Eyed Jacks, and then Autry, you know, infiltrating One-Eyed Jacks, only at the very end to be the new girl that Ben Horn is supposed to be sleeping with. You know, Greek she, myth. <laughs> exactly. Connection. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I feel like with a lot of those uh, plot points, it's like we could all see it from like a mile away that this is where it was going to be you know, happening. So I, I feel like that's why we aren't really touching upon it. It's just because we don't want to, like, beat anybody over the head with it. No, yeah, it, it felt like the halfway, or in my memory of the show, it feels like the first half of season two was the ending of season one. Yeah. And this feels like the like a big, a big moment in the show, but it feels like there's more coming. But it's actually just, you know, the end of season one. I wonder if... I mean, I don't know how television worked back then, but I'm curious as to, like, what the decision behind having just the eight episodes and ending on like I mean maybe they had to end it on that cliffhanger in order oh, to yeah. get renewed I don't know how TV works maybe back then you or I don't know maybe you were like promised two seasons or something I don't know but. no they famously I think famously Lynch wanted this to be the fugitive where we never find out who killed oh, Laura really? Palmer yeah he had what? some ambitious long-running idea about what? how the show is more about the people than there's any conclusion to the killing and mark frost is sitting there like no we gotta you know we gotta we gotta have a, a narrative and a complete story that's what the studios want huh. and the studio is like we know who you are lynch like if you don't fucking deliver <laughs> you're not gonna get season two and then lynch is like okay well at the end of season one we'll have you know is uh shelly and Catherine dead in the fire uh what happened to Leo? Mm-hmm. Uh, Leland killed Jock. What's that mean for Leland's character, the grieving father? Uh, Nadine attempted suicide. Does she live or die? How's that going to affect Hank and Norma? Mm-hmm. Uh, someone just fucking shot Cooper. Yeah. Who shot yeah. Cooper? It's Is Cooper yeah, alive? It's Nashville parallel. Yeah, it's just a big old, big old yeah, that's cliffhanger of like, you better renew us or like, else. We'll find out in the next episode of Dragon Ball Z kind of a thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's also made, like, it's made the encouraged the audiences to be like okay we want a season two mm-hmm. and to put pressure on the uh studio i think that happens modernly i think the oa had a big push was there another show uh what was the show where they're like sending items to this production or the studio uh, it was like maybe the expanse not the expanse the uh leftovers or no was it that? i think it was uh-huh. slightly older what's that sci-fi show with the crew and the ship Oh, Firefly. Um, yeah, Firefly. Maybe yeah. Firefly yeah. or like Lost. There's a big campaign mm-hmm. for to get the studio to make a, you know, like oh the the season the show hasn't concluded. We need the conclusion, but the studio decided not to renew it. Mm. I think Lynch was like definitely, especially with the uh, season two, and that conclusion, <laughs> he was definitely leaning on uh, using the narrative powers to pressure the studio to give him a third season, and they didn't. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. But with that said, uh, do we have any closing thoughts before we finish out this episode? Oh. Speaking of, like, um, 
I think, um, well, you were, you were talking about how, like, I don't know who said it in, over the course of this discussion, but someone was talking about how the film shows us, like, corruption at, like, a, like a, um, uh, like a, a, a small town level, mm-hmm. which, um, I feel that's kind of another reason why people are so drawn to it because it shows it happening to people that we and this kind of plays into the nostalgia people that we recognize like we see them like get affected by like um, people with with more power Mm -hmm. uh, which is interesting yeah I think that's one of the 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 draw points for me was because you know I'm really from suburbia true too mostly uh, and so seeing like the, these soap opera ebits and seeing these characters their perspective coming from suburbia I think that that's a cool uh, little thing that that I enjoyed about it I think if it took if this story took place in like some big ass city or some other place I don't know I don't know if I would be as interested and I don't really know how that would spin out because I feel like that's done that's been done probably I think that's probably what makes Twin Peaks special is just how weird and quirky this, these townsfolk are and yeah, you know what's interesting? There's a show called The Killing. Uh, it takes place in like Seattle, like it, like a like uh, an actual city, and yeah. it, like it it kind of follows the beats of Twin Peaks. There's like a like a ripoff. dead girl. <laughs> yeah, well, it, I thought it was like pretty well done though. Um, uh, I think it used to be on Netflix, and it also yeah. had this one thing where it was like kind of canceled for a little bit, mm-hmm. and like people were like no, finish it. Or it had the kind of like all parallel like storyline. It, like, takes place, like, in Seattle, Northwest, and, like, even, like, in people, like, oh, there's something, like, here, let's explore it more, you know, but, like, more in, like, a a less spiritual aspect than than Twin Peaks, like, more um, procedural, I think. Mm. Have you guys seen The Killing? I Mm -hmm. I remember the groundswell around that, and and definitely the Twin Peaks connection. Yeah, they're, like, the the pastiche they were doing. Yeah. I, I do like what you touched upon that we uh, we can relate and we see reflective in the uh, the victimized that Twin oh, Peaks yeah. communicates. And I like that uh, again. Back to season three and the reality stuff. I love that Lynch again places uh, young kids. They're on the fringe of they're on the fringe of the town, living in trailers. And yeah, someone witnessed something. They and they're going to do the right thing, so someone just barges through the door and tries to kill them. And it's like, oh, it's, it's like the, it's the, from the 90s, like, you know, you can go to the diner and there's the, there's Hank, and that's the threat to uh, the modern-day Lynch take of, like, oh, I saw an accident in public, and I'm going to tell the cops that, you know, I know, I know who is responsible, and oh, God, they're showing up at my trailer, and they're going to come and kill me. <laughs> like... <laughs> it's like the down the downward progression is captured by Lynch, and it feels very grounded and real. Because like, yeah, the, there's uh, young people dealing with addiction and just living in squalor, and that feels like it's it hits home more as like we have less less opportunities. It feels, and yeah, that's my nice little upbeat conclusion thought. <laughs> that's my-, my concluding thought is that. Cooper is a babe. Jesus. <laughs> it is crazy. He, he yeah. looks good in, in this scene. Or, well, we've already passed it, but when he go in, and he's wearing a tux, and he's or he's, like, tricking Jacques. Oh, man. 
Man, he's good. No, I've noticed there's a uh, there's a subtle. I don't know if it's some kind of subconscious thing for me, but there's like a Top Gun phenomenon happening with our posts. <laughs> or at least because I view me and Kevin's relationship as like, I'm sure of Truman Cooper. Oh, what? I mean, <laughs> you want me Truman? I don't care. No, I'm, I'm Truman. Are you Andy. Truman? I'm oh, Truman. yeah, you're more quiet. Yeah. Yes, I'm Truman. <laughs> but that bromance, I've been noticing like, oh, Cooper's, you know, like, I'm rewatching the photos we're posting, the clips we're posting. Mm hmm. Get out of here, Audrey. Get out of here, Donna. Sheriff <laughs> yeah. Truman, Cooper, yeah, that's, maybe some That's the real story. And Hawk. That's yeah, the Hawk. real romance right there. <laughs> I dig it. But no, yeah, I was, I was just piggybacking on what a hunk. I'm like, yeah, there are a lot of handsome and beautiful people in the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we don't need the, the love triangle of Maddie, Donna, and James. <laughs> and then James is still, like, obsession with, like, Laura still. Just being a little bitch still. Yeah. <laughs> We don't care about the the tape and the coconut. <laughs> we already know where this is going, all right? Like, just stop what you're doing, James. Just, like, <laughs> just go out into the wilderness for, like, a week. Get your head on straight. Oh, no, um, he, he, he stumbled upon a rich heiress. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a new love triangle. So I'm, I'm still waiting on the come up for Bobby. For Bobby's character. He's gonna get the Brandon Fraser treatment. Yeah, right? Oh, the <laughs> comeback of a century. Yeah. <laughs> and then Jacoby, like, he's just... He's Such just a still... weird character yeah. as the season progresses. Mm-hmm. Is that a guy who's like, you gotta shuffle yeah. yourself out of the shit? Yeah, like his, his return is kind of Alex Jones adjacent, but yeah. different. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh God. <laughs> oh, yeah, everyone in the show's pretty tight. Yeah, there's... there's a, I mean, once again, for for anyone who is listening, hoping to get like our usual spiel of uh, you know going through like almost beat for beat with the episode, we hope that you enjoyed this episode, special and, one, and this very uh, <laughs> grandiose exploration of a sort of a Twin Peaks post viewing. Um, I'm not sure when we'll get around to the second season, but I know for a fact if you two would like to, I would love. And I, I think Pat and I would would really love to have you both back on, even for like episodes outside of Twin Peaks, because it's always a pleasure uh, having you on, Ben's. You always bring a lot to the conversation, and it's always just good to have another excuse to talk with you again. And Jezzer, whoo, it's been a long time coming. <laughs> yeah, this is this has been tight. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah, it's been great. Um, for uh, anyone still listening, if you want to keep up with us, you can follow us at Lee Film Podcast on Instagram. Um, you could write into us at LeeFilmPodcast at gmail.com if you ever want to get feedback or if you ever want to be a guest on the show. Um, we would be more than happy to coordinate some sort of meeting to have you on and uh, have you share a film with us. Um, for the future of Lay Film, I want to say that um, Pat, you and Richie are going to be uh, starting up season two of the OA. Is mm-hmm, that correct? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That may be a bit out from this episode coming out, but yeah, it's mm-hmm. on the route. Uh, we'll definitely post about it, and uh, we'll hit those. We'll hit that rich, rich vein of OA heads. Oh my god! Yeah, that, that's that's like when I see the reactions to that, I'm like, oh my god! There's there's so much of a community around the OA, which yeah. is cool. Which I'm, it makes me curious for the uh, second season because the first one feels so conclu- concluded. 
mm-hmm. in a way, but also open. And uh, yeah, both of you guys, I'd recommend checking that show out. Oh yeah, I've been told. I was uh, driving to Berkeley with Richie. Yes. And, uh, oh no. So- <laughs> and like the only thing I talked about was communism, and the only thing you talked about was like the OA of the whole time. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> well, um, I also want to like be able to point people into both of your directions. Um, uh, Jezzer, do you have like your uh, Vimeo username by chance? For people to check out your films? I, I don't, I don't. Um, I'm gonna find it. Okay. I mean, I could probably try searching really quick, too. But, uh... Is there even a... It's not like I have a custom one or anything, do I? Um... Well, I... I well, Jezzer makes good movies. And <laughs> I, that's your pitch? I make good movies. Yeah, and I, and I really want you to be able to find it here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna look this up on the spot. You don't want to give your government name out without needing to. <laughs> I don't. If, if you just look up Jezer Serafica, J E Z E R space S E R A F I C A, you can find him on Vimeo. He has some movies uploaded if you yeah. want to check him out. And if you just Google my name, you'll find my website too, which uh, the Vimeo stuff is embedded on there. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, is it safe to talk about your upcoming project? Oh, I didn't. I, this, is, this is a platform for this. Yeah, <laughs> go for it. Go oh for it. Um, okay, I don't normally do this because whatever. Um, yeah, so I I'm working on something. I'm directing a little short film again uh, called I Play Loser, and it's I don't mem- I don't memorize my elevator pitches, but it's basically about. Um, it's based on this real story uh, that I went through when I was in early college, and it's just, uh, well, I don't, I don't know how much detail I want to give out, but yeah, I, I'm directing another short film. I'm in the business of just making stuff to throw into competitions and stuff. Um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, we'll be going to Davis Film Festival November 6th, hopefully, if nothing went wrong with the submission uh, for the film we made last year. Um, and yeah, and so we'll. Uh, what's the know, What's the title of that film? That one is called Eugene Does Not Want to Work for Milkshakes, um, and that, yeah, we yeah we literally made that a year ago, and mm-hmm. I'm excited to hopefully go to a festival and screen that as much as I cringe watching it nowadays, uh, and I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited to make another project. Um, so I play Loser is about um, a young man who's very good at competitive fighting games, but finds out he's no good at a new video game um, when his friends bring it around and they beat his ass in it. And he go, he kind of goes down this road of obsession trying to be the best because he has nothing else going on for him. And I know the way I describe it sounds kind of hokey and funny, but I'm really trying to... And, and the story really is hokey and funny at, uh, in reality, but I'm trying to direct this to be a little bit more serious because the story is personal to me. Um... So, yeah, I'm excited for that. I'm excited to see where it goes. And, you know, I hope it all works out. I guess we'll see. I never really know. What was the game it was based on? So it's on it's based on Super Smash Brothers. So the real story is that I was, like, really good at, like, Street Fighter and, like, Marvel okay. vs. Capcom growing up. And then I'm like, oh, shit, everyone's playing Smash. Let me get in on this. And I get my ass beat. And I'm just, like, over here, like, getting butt hurt. 
about it. So I storm off, and then I spend all this all the savings I saved up from tutoring to buy a Nintendo Wii and get a copy of Smash Brothers on the Wii. And then I remember practicing for like a whole summer, and then I beat all my friends. I invited them over, like welcome to my lair, kind of a thing. Yes. And I just beat them all. And so you know the the story we're directing or is similar to that. It's just I'm putting a bit of a twist on the ending the show and really the point is like I cringe at that story I'm like I don't want to be that kind of a guy anymore so I'm you know that's the whole thing of this fiction fictionalized version of the story uh, where he loses all his friends at the end it's just kind of like uh, you know like a warning sign I guess or whatever t- cautionary tale or whatever out of this out of this story so that's what it is that's what I'd be working on and uh, you know yeah, I hope it goes well I think uh, it's fun to be petty, though, sometimes. <laughs> but you guys are like, just a little bit petty, isn't it? A little bit fun sometimes. It, it's definitely fun. <laughs> it's fun, but it's a poison. Yeah. Sure. yeah. I know I, I'm definitely excited to be helping out on this project with you, Jez. It's, yeah. it's always a fun time being able to work on stuff with you. Um, Ben's, do you have, like, any sort of thing that you want to plug or anything like that? Um... Thank you for having me on, comrades. Uh, this was like <laughs> such a fun uh, discussion. Like, had no idea where I was going, but I felt like it's like it's always worthwhile to talk about films and uh, things that we love. So, yeah, thank you. Is it safe to plug your Instagram or any stuff like that, or is it? An- oh, I don't know if it's safe, but uh, uh, sometimes I post like, uh, well, it, all tankies go to heaven. So, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Okay. And uh, Ben's, I, whatever stuff you end up making the, in the future, I'm there for it. I will. You, you can always count on me to be there. I'm sure Pat would say the same for himself too. For mm-hmm. both of you, um, uh, Pat, do you have anything you want to say? There. Uh, uh, keep supporting the podcast because we have the innate desire to be famous and not have to do real jobs. Yeah, because real jobs suck. Yes. So uh, yeah, keep keep doing that. <laughs> pay our rent. Please <laughs> God. You guys have a Patreon. I always hear people talk we're about Patreon. We're not big enough for a Patreon. Okay. No, we're not. We, we would only have like one person. No, I rather paying like one dollar a month. Yeah, I rather not get that dollar. I rather wait. Yeah, we gotta save our dignity. <laughs> Kyle McLaughlin, David Lynch, if you're listening to this, please uh, help us out here. <laughs> yeah, well. Well, from all of us here at Lay Film, thank you for supporting us. Um, if we have any other future developments that we want to share with you, we will be more, you know, of course we'll be doing that. Um, but yeah, other than that, thank you for joining us. Uh, we hope that you're well out there and go out and enjoy life a little bit. All right, take care.